Action Church, everybody doing well? Man, excited here at Winter Park. Come on, I may preach for an hour and a half today. That's a good crowd, good response. Now you're cheering the only preach for an hour and a half. That can't be true. Nobody, nobody is good enough to talk for an hour and a half. It gets boring after about 45. It's scientific. Hey, uh, if you're back in church today, it means you're a real Christian, so give yourself a hand. You came back the week after Easter. That's not biblical or true, but we are judging everybody that's not here. So if you're online right now, you better have a good excuse. And it, may, it better not be just the weather or a theme park or the beach. And so God, God sees you and uh, your heart and where you are. And so we'll be here next week. Just kidding. But seriously, we'll, we'll be here. And so uh, Easter was absolutely uh, amazing across all of our locations. We saw record attendance. And, and, uh, and here's the best part. We had 465 people check the B-Box and make a decision to follow Jesus. And, and that's what we do it for. And if, if you are one of those 465, we're so proud of you. We were honored to share that moment with you. Uh, I want to remind you, it's your first step. The Bible calls you to be a, a disciple. We Action Church, we reach people where they are and connect them to everything God has for their life. And you have been reached. And we'd love to be a part of getting you connected, uh, both to God's plan for your life, his purpose for your life, and connected to a local church. And so we have action steps today. And we'd love to, to see you there. And if you give and serve, you're part of that A box maybe. I want to thank you uh, for all that you do. Our A team, uh, people that give of their time, their talent, and their resource. I want to thank you for being the body of Christ and being a place that we can reach 465 people. So last week we started this series uh, called Prove It. We talked about the idea that Jesus is living proof of some things of God. Jesus is living proof of the goodness and greatness of God. Specifically, Jesus is living proof of God's perfection. We talked about the prophecies in the Old Testament and how it was virtually impossible, mathematically impossible for those to come true, that he proved it through his perfection of doing exactly what he said he was going to do. We talked about Jesus as living proof of God's passion. His love for you uh, is shown on the cross and his sacrifice. Then we talked about Jesus as living proof of God's power and his resurrection and the power that is available to you and to me based on the resurrection of Jesus. And this week too, I want to continue the series, prove it, but I want to talk about you. And I want to talk about me, that we are living proof of the goodness and the greatness of God, that how you were put together, how you were wired, you and I are living proof of the goodness and greatness of God. We're talking about this idea of prove it because we live in a world full of counterfeits, full of fakes, full of scams and, and scammers. Maybe you've seen this uh, on my Instagram. Maybe you have other friends. People have scammed your account. They've stolen your account. They've sent out messages. For me, uh, I get about once every two months, somebody uh, becomes Pastor Justin Daly, either with an extra an I or an extra E or just a zero in the end of it. My favorite one was when they called themselves the Chief Pastor of Action Church. And so that's going to stick. We're actually making a name change in a couple weeks. I'm going to be the Chief Pastor, well, a few years ago or a few months ago, I don't know when it was, uh, we had a, a scammer actually represent himself via email to some of our staff and uh, got, you know, Pastor Justin Daly, Gmail, whatever account, email, whatever, and emailed on my behalf. So when it showed up, the subject line and the title was Pastor Justin Daly. Well, one of our staff members, actually, Pastor Nick Drake, who leads our Sanford location, he decided to interact with this fake account, with this scammer. And I thought it'd be fun for us to walk through really deciphering this, this fake message thread. Uh, so let's put it on the screen. Let's go 
one at a time. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, says, uh, this is me, Justin Daly. Uh, do you have a moment? I have a request I need you to handle discreetly. I am very busy with some prayer session. <laughs> just some prayer session. No calls. Just reply my email. And so little uh, lack of punctuation and a few just words that would make it sound like good English. Here's Pastor Nick's response. I am at your service, all caps. You know this is going to be good. You know this is going to be good. All right. I respond, great. Here's what I want you to do for me because I am a little busy right now. I've been working on incentives and I aimed at surprising some of our diligent staffs. That's what, that's what I call them, staffs. With gift cards this week. This should be confidential until they all have the gift cards as it's a surprise, and you will keep one for yourself too. Can you get this done, and how soon? Pastor Nick. First, I have to say how honored I am that you would trust me with this task. I know how much you love surprises, and it tickles me to know that you'll be surprising our wonderful staff. What kind of gift cards would you like? I'm at the store right now. Here's what I need, Pastor Nick. I need seven Amazon gift cards, $100 in value, total of 700. He's doing great math. You should get them at Target, CVS, 7-Eleven, or another local store around you. After you get them, scratch the back, take a clear picture of each card, and send to me on here. Please, I will also need you to attach the receipt of purchase for reference purposes. He's got great accounting. That's really, that's really important. Let me know when you are on your way to the store. Thanks. <clears throat> Pastor Justin, I regret to inform you that I failed you. None of those gift cards were available. However, I was able to purchase three gift cards, Blockbuster, Toys R Us, and Shoney's. Hey, before you laugh too hard, don't be hating on Shoney's. That breakfast buffet will change your life. Would you like me to send you the scratched off pictures? Yes, I'll be waiting to have them. <laughs> That's Pastor Aaron Bamberg, who did the special last week at Easter and leads uh, our South Orlando worship team. What is this, Nick? <laughs> it's amazing how many times I actually text Nick Drake that same thing. Like, Nick, what the heck are you talking about? What do you mean? These are the gift cards you asked for. What did you receive? I don't know what that means. Next one. I didn't get it. You sent me some kind of picture. What, what was it? I'm so <laughs> embarrassed. See, it's not, it's not hard to spot a fake if you're, if you're looking at it. It's got my name, but if you just have to read a little bit into the situation to notice that what's being said is not actually what's going on. And we have a real enemy that uses counterfeits and perversions and manipulations and fakes to get us off of the focus that God has for our life. You are proof, living proof. Your very being, we're gonna talk about that today, how you were created, what's on the inside of you, even, even before what you do, just what's in you is proof of the goodness and greatness of God. God says that you are good enough to be used by him. But the enemy perverts that, he fakes it, he twists it, and he says, you'll never measure up, you're not good enough, that the way God designed you is not good enough that you fall short. And what I want to remind or reveal to somebody today is that God created you on purpose and for a purpose, and he loves you, and your very being shows the 
intentionality of our Father and our Creator. Psalm 139 says it like this, for you formed me and my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Just, just receive that today. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident. You were here on purpose. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, as yet there were none of them. We were knitted together. We were formed. We were created. And 99% of humans share the same DNA, this points to a consistent pattern laid out by God, that God, in his all power and his all knowingness, created you in his image. In fact, he has a conversation, the Trinity has a conversation. Let us, let us make man in, in our image. And when he made you, he said it was very good. We'll talk about that in a moment. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. How? Because you and I were a spiritual being before we were a physical being. God says, I had things for you to do, so I, I knit you and wove you together and knew you even before you became recognizable in this temporary place we call earth. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He's writing to Jeremiah here. He's the prophet to the nations, but he's talking about the intentionality of creation. Before I formed you in the womb, before you were a collection of cells, before you were called a fetus, I created you. We as mankind should not get rid of or destroy what God has created. It's not science, it's not political, it's just biblical. And it's so encouraging and positive to be reminded that God put you together. He doesn't make mistakes. He didn't start with you. That he placed the ideas, the creativity, the very things that make you up in you and for you. This shows that God doesn't just create you, he creates you with a purpose and a calling. Before we were created, we are known. There's something powerful about that thought, that before I ever do anything right or wrong, I'm loved and known by God. Psychologists tell us humans desperately need to be known by others and loved for who they are before being loved for what they do. God meets that need before you're even born. God knows you and loves you before you ever knew that you even needed it. Genesis chapter one says it like this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, 
He created them. In the garden, he created male and female perfection, what he desired to produce mankind. Male and female, he created them. He said it was perfect. He didn't just say that it was good. He said that it was very good. He created male and he created female, and he said it was very good, like it was excellent, like it was perfect. And we are the image bearers of, of God. This is the end of creation. This is his exclamation point. This is his climax of the moment, of the whole story where he creates man and woman and he says it's good and populate and multiply and fill the earth. But it's so easy for us to take our humanity, our design for granted. When God created you to be exactly who he needed you to be. And I've got some stats. I've got some things that I found this week because I, I wanted to, two weeks in a row, you came last week and, and I had all the math and now I've got some, some science for you today because I want to prove how smart I am. No, I just went to Google. And so <laughs> you can be smart too. I'm not a doctor, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night that had Wi-Fi for free in Google. Come on, that's funny. That was free. That wasn't, I, first service didn't get that kind of stuff. And you won't either if you don't behave better. We can so easily take our, our human design for granted. Just, just listen to some of this stuff. We have 60,000 to 100,000 miles of blood vessels, veins, arteries, capillaries, basically our body's plumbing system. Tens of thousands of miles. Every second, you produce 25 million cells. You can't swallow and breathe at the same time. You can't. I tried it this week. You look pretty dumb if you do it in a mirror, but you can't do it. Natural design to keep us choking on our food. The tongue is covered in about 8,000 taste buds. Each contains 100 cells to help you taste food. And I think some of y'all are broken. Some of your, some of your taste buds are broken because y'all eat some weird stuff. I see it online. <laughs> Nerve impulses to and from the brain travel as fast as 170 miles per hour. That's why we can react so quickly. The liver, just one organ in our body, has over 500 bodily functions that keep you alive. Your nose can remember 50,000 different scents. Still remember middle school locker room. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you inhale and exhale without thinking about it 23,000 times a day. There are at least 100 trillion neural connections in the human brain. We could go on for hours, but all of these point to a fact that we were intentionally put together. I don't have enough faith to believe some stuff just collided together and we were put together by accident. Just don't have enough faith. That's right. You say I'm stupid because of my faith. I say you're stupid because of your science. <laughs> like for, just happened, all of it just came together. You're not an accident. It wasn't just good, it was very good. Yeah. Have you ever had somebody like my, my, my fake account uh, text you or email you without punctuation or misusing capitalization? You know, don't capitalize the I, forget the period, just run on sentence after run on sentence. I feel like if God could send you an email or text today, that, that he would remind you that mankind, like your existence is, is so perfect and so good. It would be in all caps with an exclamation point. You got, you got those friends that type text in all caps. You know Pastor Eddie. If you've never got a text from Pastor Eddie, it's all caps with exclamation marks. And sometimes he ends it with hugs. And I don't know what that means. Does he want to hug me or lots of hugs, plural? 
God would send you a text that he loves you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are on purpose and for a purpose, it would be all caps with an exclamation mark, hugs. You know, he would say, there's only one you. Designed to do what God has called you to do. You and I, we were creating God's image. Pastor, this sounds like a positivity self-help talk. This doesn't sound like the gospel. We talked about it all last week, but let me, let me interject for a moment that it was good. And then sin entered the world and we were separated. So pastor, how, how can I get back into the, the good? It is only through a relationship with Jesus. So when I say that, that God has a perfect plan for you, it's, it's because you're gonna surrender your life to Jesus and you're gonna, you're gonna follow. He has good things for you to do because you're gonna surrender your life to Jesus and you're gonna, you're gonna follow. That there was sin entered in the Garden of Eden. We'll talk about that in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in, in just a moment. When sin entered, we were separated and we have to receive Jesus to get back in right standing. So when I talk about everything that God has put on the inside of us to be used, it is for his glory, for our good, and it is a secondary step in the process to surrendering our life to Jesus. Amen. Jesus had to die to make atonement for our sins. When sin entered the world, the, the idea of sacrifice and blood being an atonement for sin, that something had to lose its life so that we could keep it, happened all throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes on the scene, the perfect lamb, and his sacrifice is an atonement for our sins for eternity. So we have to receive Jesus, and specifically, we have to recognize the power of the atonement of our sins comes from Jesus' sacrifice and his blood. It says this in Leviticus chapter 17. Let's go there just for a second. That's right, Leviticus chapter 17. You're welcome. <laughs> Leviticus, also known as the book that I skip every year in the one-year Bible. I'm just gonna be really honest. Pastors aren't that saved. It's, you, gotta, you just got to audio book it. Gets a, little, gets a little, little weird in there for a little bit, but I found something that we can use. Praise the Lord. Leviticus 17. I'm kidding. All Bible is God-breathed, inspired, but Leviticus, I'm going to have to ask God a couple questions when I get there. You know what I mean? There's just a couple of things where you're like, God, I don't, I don't get it. Leviticus 17 makes it very plain. It says, for the life of the body is in its blood. Just practical. If you don't have any blood, you're not alive. The life of the body is in its blood. It is, it is what keeps us alive. Now it gets spiritual. I've given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. So how do we get from, from perfection to imperfection? That's sin. Sin nature, fallen world. That happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. But how do we get back in right standing to use all of these amazing gifts and talents and ideas and thoughts and, and use this design that God has given us? How do we do that? We have to accept what Jesus did on the cross. We have to accept that there's power in the, the blood of Jesus, that it does some things for us. That it's, it's what gets us back in right standing. Because the blood of Jesus, check this out, the blood of Jesus cleanses you. Amen. The blood of Jesus cleanses you. First John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How do we come into right standing with God the Father? It's through the Son, Jesus, accepting that his blood, it cleanses us. It frees us from our past. 
It makes it where God no longer sees what we did, but he sees us through what his son did on the cross. The blood of Jesus cleanses us and gets us back into right standing with God. The second thing it does, the blood of Jesus heals us. First Peter chapter two says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his blood, you have been healed. By his stripes, you have been healed. There is power in healing. There is supernatural power available through the spirit of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has the ability to heal. Here's the next one, it empowers. The blood of Jesus empowers. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of Jesus empowers you and I to live differently. It empowers you and I to overcome temptation. It empowers you and I to overcome sin. It empowers you and I to live differently and overcome the enemy. How? By the blood of the lamb and the, the power and the word of their testimony. There's power in the blood of Jesus. What am I saying? I'm saying that you and I do not get our strength from our strategies, our success, our ideas. How do we overcome? How are we empowered? It's when we stand on what Jesus did for us. Our power does not come from ourselves. Our power comes from Jesus. We, we overcome by the power of the blood. We rest in what Jesus did. We don't overcome by fighting ourselves. We overcome by surrendering more and the power of the blood of Jesus. Well, what's the next step? Then the word of our testimony. And you may be new to church and, and new to this thing, or, or you're saying, well, I, I, I know that I have gifts. Maybe I've been to action steps, or you're thinking about, well, what do I do? How, how do I reach people? It seems complicated. Do I have to go to Bible school? Do I have to do all these steps? No, it, it's telling us right here how to overcome the enemy and how to reach a, a lost world that needs Jesus. You, you rest in what Jesus did for you. So you tell people, it wasn't me, it was him. Everything you're good at, everything that you've built, it wasn't me, it was him. I rest in that I was not good enough on myself, but I rest in the power of Jesus' blood. Then, by the word of their testimony, which means it's not your story, it's not your idea, it's not your sermon, it's not your theology, it's not your service, it's the word of simply what Jesus did for you. We empower to live differently when we stand on the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the victory of Jesus, and then we tell people what he did for us. It's our testimony. The Bible calls us to be witnesses, that we are just repeating what we have seen and heard Jesus do in our own life. It, it empowers us. First service had a big clap there. Thank you, Sanford. No pity. Don't even, don't even put your hands together one time. You missed it. Thank God there's cleansing for you by the blood and healing for my heart. It empowers. Here's the fourth one identifies. Revelation 4. You are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. It identifies us as believers, identifies him as our Lord. Once you know who you are and who you belong to, you, you can live differently. You will begin to walk in the design and the plan that God has for you. But even in right relationship with God, we've been talking about this a lot lately because I just think it's so important that even with a, a, a right relationship with God, even with receiving Jesus, we're still gonna have attack. And we're gonna, we're gonna check the B box last week or we're gonna check the A box or we're gonna get excited out of, a, out of an Easter season and maybe we're gonna make church a priority or, or giving a priority or serving a priority. We're, we're gonna live for God. 
We're going to be in right relationship with God, but that doesn't change the fact that we still live in a fallen world. And that the enemy is going to attack us. And so I want to look at how he attacked God's creation from the beginning of time, because I think we see something that we can extrapolate to our own situation. In Genesis 2, it said it was perfect. The man and his wife, they were both naked and they felt no shame. It was perfect. Just walking around naked and eating fruit. Sounds like a great day. You know what I mean? With your spouse. Not stranger, just, come on. It's a good day. It was perfect. They're naming the animals. Got a bunch of pets, a bunch of fruit, walking with God in the evening. They had everything that you could ever want. It was God's perfect creation. Had access to so many things, and yet were deceived by just some slight manipulation. The enemy, the enemy has to take our focus on, off of everything that we have because if we, if we read that we're woven, if we read that we're designed, if we study how intricately we're put together, if we focus on all that God has said, done, and that we have, we'll never fall. So when he deceives us, he gets our focus off of God and off of everything that we have, and we focus on the small things. I mean, if you put it in context, they chose the one thing they couldn't have over the thousands of things that they could have, but we do the same thing. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter three. It says, God knows, this is the enemy talking to them, God knows that if you eat of this tree, the one tree that, if you're new to church, there was one tree that they could not eat from. He said, you can have access to everything else. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Look at that. You will be like God, but just go back. They were already like God. Let us make man in our image. They forgot their identity and they left God's way for the false promise of an easier way. He convinced them that they weren't good enough and they needed to do something to become greater. That I'm gonna try harder. That I've gotta get what I don't have instead of focusing on what I, what I do have. Genesis chapter three, verses six to 11 says this. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some fruit and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Notice shame entered. They used to walk with God in the evenings and now they're hiding because they felt shame. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Verse 11, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? I want to highlight a couple of things. They made a mistake. Sin entered the world. They're hiding. What is God doing? Where are you? He's pursuing. 
some of you have a misappropriation of how God sees you. You think he's mad at you when you sin. He's not mad at you. He's angry because he knows how much it's gonna negatively affect you. God doesn't leave us, we leave him. God doesn't hide from us, he pursues us. We see it in Genesis, we see it in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. Like he, he is looking, he is looking, he is searching. Where are you? And you've allowed your doubt, your fear, your shame, your mistakes to hide. He's searching for you. Pastor, I've been running a long time. He's been searching. He's been creating divine opportunities for you to know that he's there and he's waiting. Where are you? He pursues. The second thing I wanna highlight is his first question to them. It was not, what did you do? Because he knew that they had been attacked. He knew that they had been tempted. He knew that they had been coerced and manipulated, persuaded. And he asked this question, who told you? Who told you? Because we've been, we've been walking together every night We've been in this relationship and I created you and then I created your, you a wife and you named all the animals and we've been kind of doing this, this thing together and then all of a sudden you knew something but it didn't come from me. You found a, a new sense of identity and it wasn't from the creator, it was from a counterfeit. First words out of God's mouth, but who told you? Same question should be asked to us when we sin and we feel shame and we run. Some of you have been running from God your whole life because somebody told you something. Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you you weren't worthy of love and grace, forgiveness? Who told you you didn't have a purpose? That it was for somebody else with a different gift mix or a different skill set. Who told you you don't belong? It doesn't matter what you believe or what you've done. You're one decision away. Who told you you'll never get better? You'll always struggle. You've believed a former friend, a family member, a teacher, a mentor, a spiritual figure. You've believed what somebody said about you over what God put on the inside of you. Who told you? And the response of shame is to hide because it's the second step of the enemy. The first is to get us to sin. The second one is to get us into shame because we hide. And I just need to tell somebody today that God cannot heal what you continue to hide. that he gave us free will and this idea that we surrender, but we have to surrender our best days and our worst days. The answer to getting back in right relationship with God is not hiding, but is surrendering. I don't know who this is for. I didn't say it first service, but shame and guilt always lead to stagnation and confusion. 
There's a difference between guilt and conviction. Conviction is always clear. I feel convicted, but I know that through the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that I have a way out. Conviction doesn't lead to withdrawal. Conviction leads to repentance. Sin and shame withdraw. Repentance leads us to walking in a different direction. And I just need to remind you that God's response in Genesis chapter three is the same response today. What did he do? He corrected, he disciplined, he made a way. And then there was a sacrifice and he clothed them with the skins of the animals. There was a sacrifice that had to be made for their sins. And then he covered them and protected them. And if you and I will accept the sacrifice of Jesus, it doesn't matter what you've said or what you've done. God wants to cover you in his righteousness, in his purity, in his holiness. For the rest of time, how do I do that? You stop being in control. You come out of the hiding of sin and shame. You come out of the bushes and you say, God, I need help. I want to receive all that you, you have for me, all the things you put on in the, inside of me. But, but we know through scripture that we only do that through surrendering our life to his lordship and his leading. So I want to give you that opportunity to be covered by the blood of Jesus, cleansed, healed, empowered, and identify as a new creation by receiving what Jesus did on the cross and the power through his resurrection. Would you bow your head? at every location, every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we love you. We thank you for your word today in Genesis. And I thank you that there's gonna be many of us who are gonna stop believing the lies of the enemy and we're gonna receive the truth. I thank you for that. Church, if you're in here today and you say, that's, that's me, pastor, I'm I'm hiding. I've never met Jesus. I've just lived in my sin and my shame. Or maybe, maybe you did. Maybe you did the church thing. You walked aisles. You prayed prayers. But if you're honest, whatever's happened to you or whatever you've done has caused you to walk away. And today is more of a day of recommitment to your faith. So if that's you and you want to accept the gift that is Jesus, the covering that is the sacrifice of the cross and the victory and the resurrection. If that's you for the first time or by recommitting your life today for the first time in a long time, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I don't know who I'm praying with today. I want to receive Jesus. I got one, two, three, four. Yeah, five, six. Yeah, 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 yeah. Must be a dozen hands on the floor. Several more in the stadium. Yep, got you in the back. Yep, yep, yep. Come on, Oviedo and Sanford and South. Praise God. Put your hands down. If you raised your hand, would you pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud? Say this, say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge today that I am a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. God, I give you that place, complete control. Have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, God, I pray for all of us. I pray this week. God, just give us a practical encounter with you to remind us of how loved we are, how cherished we are, how intentionally created we are. 
something we see, something we smell, something we hear, an interaction with somebody, whatever it is. Just give us an example of you proving once again how much you love us and how intentionally you put us together for our good and for your glory. We love you. We praise you in this place. And everybody at Action Church said amen. And amen, church. Can we celebrate the dozens of hands that just went up? Come on, celebrate them. We're so proud of you.